0: Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of The Darius Show. My name is Darius Cook, as always, and I am your gracious host here. If you're new around here, here's how we do things I watch a show, I talk about that show, you listen, and you enjoy. For today, we're going to be breaking down Cobra Kai season four on Netflix. I had a lot of fun watching Cobra Kai, I'm actually a really big fan of the series. I know it can be pretty cheesy at times, but at the core of it, I think that there is a really good story here and a lot to to really like. So yeah, without further ado, let's jump right into it. I had a lot of fun watching the show and even more fun breaking it down. So let's go ahead and roll the intro. It's the Darius Show, y'all already know. Drop your booty to the floor, come give me some more. It's the Darius Show. It's the Darius Show. So season four of Cobra Kai picks up right where we left off. And at the, at the end of season three, what we saw was basically a big gang battle. We've seen a major turn in the narrative where John Kreese has now taken over Cobra Kai. He's kind of pushed, pushed Johnny out of it himself. And this puts Johnny in a position where he has to start his own Jojo. So he's kind of flying free towards the end of season three. And the Cobra Kai members actually stage an attack on Miyagi-Do. This is this was crazy. I mean, season three was like the gang violence season. But uh, uh, in the in the presence of that attack, we actually saw Hawk finally make his turn back to the good guys. And he kind of changed teams and started fighting against his Cobra Kai members. The last thing that we see happen at the end of season three is actually Johnny and Daniel joining forces and declaring that they're going to do dojo together. Obviously, that's a really big hook for season four. That's something we haven't seen them being on the same page before. And that's where we jump right into with the narrative for for season four. Just to kind of set the stage on where all the different characters and all the different factions are, where we find ourselves at the beginning of season four. Uh, Robbie Keane has actually now joined up with Cobra Kai. At the beginning of it, he hasn't officially joined in there, but by episode three, he is kind of all in on the Cobra Kai message. But really what he's done is he's kind of just taken refuge with John Kreese. Uh, This being because he no longer feels like he can trust uh, Daniel LaRusso or his dad, Johnny. We've seen the entire series. He doesn't have any trust for his father. And what's interesting is this character defines himself in opposition to his father, But all he ends up doing is just following the same footsteps that his father did by aligning himself with John Kreese and kind of trusting him. So that's an interesting little part for him. But, you know, throughout this whole season, he is kind of like the dog of John Kreese. He's kind of doing everything that he says. But at the end of the day, you can see that there is still kind of that emotion behind him. It's kind of like watching Anakin where he's turned to the dark side. But you know that there's still remnants of his old light self in there. And like I said before, we have Miyagi-Do and Eagle Fang, which is Johnny's new dojo that he started, are actually joining forces for the first time. So all of our former Cobra Kai members that had started up with John, the ones that we've grown uh, to love and everything, are now over with the Miyagi-Do crew. And it's a little weird at first because these are characters that have battled each other a lot in the past. But they, these characters are the ones that are able to put their differences aside and kind of join forces for what's right. The stakes here being that they struck a deal with John Kreese and basically whichever dojo wins the, the all-valley all karate tournament this year gets to stay open and the other ones have to shut down. So the stakes couldn't be higher. It's an all-or-nothing, some goal. And that's why they've decided to align with each other. However, what we see in this first episode is something I would have expected, and that's that John Kreese and Daniel, excuse me, Johnny and LaRusso are unable to really work together. Their ideals are just so different that even though they have a common goal, they're not able to achieve it by working together because they have basically opposing approaches to teaching their karate. So that ends up dismantling them. They, They, uh it looks like it's falling apart even in front of the students. And by the end of the episode, Hawk actually takes the lead and he, he sets out to create a new dojo platform for them to kind of work, work through their differences. It's clear that the students are, are motivated to learn together. All the students, and we see this throughout the series, we see it really develop, that they're the ones who are able to get the value out of both methods, even though both senseis are really slow to kind of realize the value of each other's. And that plot line actually bleeds into episode two, where we see Daniel and Johnny really try to make an effort to, to, to get to know each other and actually understand each other's method. And they actually take an episode to learn each other's method. Uh, they, yeah, so the entire length of that episode, that's really what the plot is. They're spending a lot of time together, and you see Johnny stumbling through the Miyagi-Do practice, and you see Daniel try to embrace his inner fang and kind of be a little bit more fierce. It's obvious even in episode two that the overall narrative is that the perfect form of their karate is going to be a proper blend of both because both methods do have their flaws and they do have their great points. One thing I'll say is a critique of the show is it repeats itself a lot. Again, this message comes up very early in episode two and they continue to kind of beat you with this message over and over again. Even though the characters on the screen, the two senseis, don't understand it themselves. It takes them the entire season just to finally get around to it. But, you know, we the audience kind of see where that's going. And even the students see that that is the truth and kind of get there way quicker than they do. Sometimes just the writing is just a little repetitive and it's a, it kind of beats you over the head with the same message over and over again. That being said, I do think that the the characters, you know, the actors that are portraying them are so likable and the narrative overall is so good that it kind of makes up for it. And, and in those moments where you feel like, you know, this is a little Disney Disney Channel original or a little CWE, a little cheesy and corny, it makes up for it when you get delivered on those great character moments. This episode, we also get introduced to a really big character for the season, and that's Kenny. Kenny is one of the few characters that actually gets introduced here in season four. And I'm really surprised how how much his plot line was able to pop off screen. Again, this is someone who just now got introduced in season four. And this is a world where there's a lot of characters, like especially as far as the kids go. There's a lot of characters to kind of keep up with and kind of be emotionally attached to. But he gets introduced and the journey that he goes on throughout the entire season is is so large and it's like he he has a full arc and narrative and he cements himself as one of the key components to Cobra Kai's overall flavor in just one short season. But anyways, where we where we get introduced to him, he's kind of the new kid in school. And he we see that he loves to play video games. He's a nice kid. He's innocent. His escape from the world is video games as we find out that he's kind of he kind of comes from a troubled history. Even though he's a really good kid He um, we it actually ends up being revealed to us by the end of the episode that Kenny's brother is actually in juvie and he was friends with Robbie Keane all the way back in season one. So we have seen that dynamic a little bit and it's nice bringing another character related to him in. But once he comes into the school, he actually starts to be bullied by Johnny LaRusso, excuse me, Daniel LaRusso's son, Anthony. And what's interesting is this character has been really muted to this point. He's just been relegated to like a background actor, which was definitely a weird choice for one of the other children of LaRusso. I didn't expect them to ever really end up doing anything with him. He's usually just played up for a cheap joke about how kids these days are always on their phones and technology. But he gets he gets upped in the season in a big way. And he he basically finds himself in a weird little love triangle with Kenny and both of their mutual crush at school. Something we've seen over and over again in this specific story, but we see them at odds. And because he has a little gang of bullies, he ends up being the primary bully to Kenny. The most heartbreaking thing that's happens is when they kind of set him up and catfish him. And, you know, they pretend to be this girl that he has a crush on, on this video game world. You know, they get him to emotionally connect and be vulnerable and all that good stuff. And then they lure him out in a cosplay and, you know, embarrass him in front of the whole school. Throughout the season they even continue to do pranks on him. This, of course, is just heartbreaking because Kenny is a good kid. He ain't doing he isn't doing anything wrong for anybody. And this ends up turning him to his brother in Juvie. You know, he's catching up with him and his his brother's like, wait, people are bullying you? No way. You can't take that man. And he, he ends up suggesting that he reach out to Robbie Keane, who goes to the same school, which is his old friend in search for some guidance or some help with this problem, which kind of sets up what his plot is going to be moving forward. Kenny ends up finding Robbie Keane at the Cobra Kai dojo. And at first, he's kind of bullied into, like, leaving the dojo. Uh, he's just a small kid, and that and, you know, the Cobra Kai environment just eats him up and chews him out, you know. But with a little bit of guidance from Robbie, he's actually able to to join the dojo and actually become one of the more formidable members of the dojo, which is really interesting given his specific stature and overall presence. I am just going to kind of run through his entire plot here because I think I like to do that. I like to just kind of focus on individual plots rather than go always episode by episode. But what ends up happening is Robbie tells him to use his speed. He's used to running away from his problems, away from his bullies and all that. So he's really quick. But, what Robbie what Robbie very wisely does, Robbie definitely has a future as a dojo teacher. He's really good at in teaching things to other people and imparting some wisdoms and having that strong presence. But he ends up telling him to utilize his speed in his combat, which really works out for him. Um, what, what we see out of this character is somebody who's really blinded by rage. This is kind of the crease effect and this is how his his training always affects his students is you know, lean into that rage, lean, lean, in, lean into that hate. And that's what he does. And it does get him results. It gets him, you know, he stops getting bullied by Anthony and he, he stands up. And what ends up happening is he ends up turning into that bully character. That's kind of what the whole Cobra Kai vibe is about. It's turning people, turning your weaknesses into your strengths. But those always get perverted into aggressive strengths and you end up becoming the bully that you were trying to fight against to begin with. The other big character that we get introduced to this season that really makes a huge presence is going to is that in the way of Silver. Silver is actually from the original Kar- Karate Kid movies. I don't really remember his character much that being said I haven't seen those movies since I was really a, just a small kid. However, Silver is another sensei for Cobra Kai and he was one in, back in the past as well. His approach to Cobra Kai, the the nuance of how it differs from John Kreese's approach at first, it's hard to tell what the difference is because, you know, we're seeing Silver slowly get introduced back, introduced into this world. But the way that they really define the difference in their roles later on was surprisingly really clear. And I like how they were able to define that. That's a praise I actually want to hearken on for this series as a whole really quick is basically what they set up here is like three or four different ideals as it, as it approaches to karate. You know, there's self-defense, there's attack first, no mercy, but then that, even that version of it, what they're able to do in the series is define four different philosophies. And at first, it's really hard to tell what the difference is between these philosophies, especially when we're splitting hairs between the new Cobra Kai, the old Cobra Kai, the Eagle Fang, you know. They're, those all seem like they're the same approaches at first, just kind of lean into your anger and attack hard and all that type of stuff. But there is a nuance to it and there is levels to it. You know, Johnny's approach to his Cobra Kai logic may be fierce, but it's not brutal. And there, there, there is a distinction there that is worth noting. And it's an ideal that he really does stand by throughout the series. And I just wish that Johnny was able to articulate his form of karate a little bit better. Once Silver is first introduced, he's actually dead set on not returning to karate. He has no interest in doing that. He's kind of left that part of his life behind him and he's pursued a life that has more peace. you know he's he's much more happy, it seems. However, when John Creese re-enters his life, you see that temptation start to build for him. and John Kreese really convinces him to come back. It, he really had to push a lot to kind of rope him back into that situation. Um, however, once we see Silver come back, he's back in a big way, and he slowly morphs into the villain of the series. It's really interesting what they do between their two dynamics. At first, John Kreese kind of pressures him because, as we saw in season three, uh, John is responsible for saving Silver's life, and this is back in the war, before before all that Cobra Kai nonsense. But that's at first the reason why he feels indebted to him, and why he comes back to kind of help him. But slowly but surely, Silver kind of takes over. His ferocity starts to become unleashed. And you see him slowly unwind and become a little less reasonable. And there are very few lines that he's willing to cross. We see him attack children. We see him attack adults and lure people into traps. He really becomes the sadistic one. And slowly what we see is John Kreese kind of losing his powers a little bit. Maybe not that, but... I don't know, it's interesting. John Creese has been so this unforgivable, deplorable man for all this time. And he isn't quite forgiven in this season, but he slowly starts to lean towards something of a redemption arc. At least as when you at, at least when you compare him to Silver. Silver's presence just is so dominating that John Creese actually starts to become more of a maybe not a good guy, but maybe heading towards a redemption arc. Getting into the meat and potatoes of the season, you know, at between episodes like four and six is where we really start to get some of the drama that's building between all these characters. So I'll kind of break them down one by one. Miguel and Daniel LaRusso are starting to grow closer. This makes sense because Miguel has a relationship with LaRusso's daughter, Samantha. And, uh, of course, now LaRusso is one of his senseis. So it makes sense that they would bond. Miguel loves to bond with everyone. He is kind of the heart of the series, if I'm being honest. But we see them grow closer and it's nice to see, honestly, he's he's learning what we see really from Miguel's character and Sam's character is the two leading examples of what it's like to take knowledge and wisdom from both from both approaches of the karate. And because it's because they're so innocent and wide eyed, they kind of represent that youth that's kind of able to take everything from the previous generation, and elevate it a little bit. And we see that with both of those characters throughout the season, but kind of especially with Miguel, at least at first. But yeah, he's getting closer with LaRusso. LaRusso even teaches him how to drive. And what that does for our Johnny character is kind of push him out a little bit. And he feels like, you know, he's losing that one special relationship he had. It's kind of just like what happened to Robbie Keane in the first season, in the first two seasons, really. Is that, you know, Robbie, Johnny's son, is growing closer to Daniel LaRusso and he's becoming that father figure for him, something he was never able to really accomplish with Robbie. And by the looks of it, the same thing's happening again with Miguel. So that's an interesting dynamic. It kind of plays up the jealousy and continues kind of the animosity between daniel and johnny where you know you kind of thought that they were past it but this is just one of the reasons that continues it moving forward throughout the season and just gives you that kind of dramatic arc between them what's also happening in this season is johnny and miguel's mom are becoming closer and we actually see them reveal to miguel that they've been dating and seeing each other this goes over pretty well with miguel Miguel's just such a good kid that he doesn't take it bad in any in any way, shape, or form. It adds a little extra like drama and weird layers to the relationship as they are as sensei and student. However, it really I thought that they would play it up a little bit more dramatically, and I'm kind of happy that they sped through it and didn't linger on that, revealing it to Miguel plot too much, because that honestly would have been pretty boring to linger on. And there's so much more interesting things happening this season that I'm happy we didn't focus too aggressively on it. Robbie is slowly building himself up to be a leader, like a leader position in Cobra Kai. We see him even starting training sessions and whatnot. So he doesn't honestly have too much to work with throughout the season. It's really just his new mentor type relationship with Kenny as he's trying to put him on a positive path. But through the lens of watching Kenny is starting to kind of realize that this path might not be the best one. However, that's just, he's really slowly realizing that all he's really doing is leaning into the Cobra Kai kind of persona at first. The other plot, this is what I think is the most interesting plot we're really working with as far as all the little drama arcs are going, and that's between Tori and Sam. What we really start to see this season from Tori is so many new layers to her character. We already know that she's had a troubled past and she's kind of taking care of herself and her younger sibling just by herself. She's only 17 years old. She's working jobs in high school and she actually ends up getting fired from one, which is a devastating situation for her. And what we see is this weird, this interesting dynamic start to build between between Tori and Sam's mom, Mrs. LaRusso, where at first Mrs. LaRusso is really kind of coming at her with a lot of ferocity because this is the girl who attacked her daughter just the just the semester before. And, you know, she even gets her kicked out of school. But once it becomes clear to Mrs. LaRusso kind of what the situation Tori is in right now, and she's, she's a troubled youth. And honestly, when you understand Tori's situation, she's doing the best she can, and she's doing even better than she should be expected to. She is a little violent. She's a hothead, and she's a bit of a bully. But given her circumstances, I see why she has that much hatred in her life. It doesn't help that she's being guided by Kreese, who is the big villain at this point, you know. So we see a little bit of a mentor relationship emerge from Mrs. Larusso. She starts to kind of help her a little bit, and slowly but surely, surely, Tori actually opens herself up to being helped by Mrs. Larusso. So I do really like that plot line for Tori. And what we see, what we also see building is the drama between her and Sam, because their beef is not settled yet at all. Uh, her and Sam, every time they see each other, they're just always going at odds. the The kind of biggest way that this manifests is when Sam ends up at. Uh, birthday party where because she just got fired from a recent job Tori's acting as a mermaid there this is obviously embarrassing for her and Sam doesn't take waste a second to kind of embarrass her uh of course she gets her come up its back as uh Tori convinces these kids to go splash her with some water and they they just continue to attack each other in small ways every chance they get and the last little dynamic that's building here is actually the dynamic between Robbie and Tori. They both come from a similar background where, you know, they haven't had it easy. You know, Robbie also grew. He was in Juvie where we first met this character. And, you know, they, they have both had their hardships and they, they both come from, you know, the school of hard knocks, for lack of a better word, and have these troubled history. Whereas Miguel certainly has experienced his, experienced his own hardships as well. His background and just kind of sensibility leans himself more towards Sam. They're just a little bit more innocent, a little bit more naive in their world approach. It kind of makes sense that Tori and Robbie would start to get close and build somewhat of a budding romance. And I actually kind of like that for those characters. Guys, I cannot believe I've made it this far into this conversation without talking about Hawk, really. Hawk has such a cool storyline in this season. Honestly, if you track Hawk's storyline throughout the entire series, it's really awesome. He's just one of the characters that makes such a strong mark on the series. And most of the characters, you know, we're talking about Sam, we're talking about Robbie Keane. A lot of these characters are intrinsically uh, interconnected to the characters of the past. You know, the old Mr. Miyagi story and Daniel LaRusso and Johnny, Cobra Kai stuff. But Hawk is a character who is just completely unique and such like an individual that they bring into the fray here. Now, Miguel is like that as well. But his character is so intrinsically tied to Johnny's character that, you know, he's he's an extension of Johnny and his storyline. But Hawk really gets his own storyline to breathe on his own. And we see him take tutelage of both dojos as well. Of course, he's a Cobra Kai Eagle fan guy at heart. However, we see him really opening up and being willing to learn from Miyagi-Do as well. Now, in this season where he, where we, where he picks up, he, he's basically been a traitor to both, fa- to both factions. He originally was a traitor to our original friend group where once he really embraced that Hawk identity, he became kind of a bully to the good guys. But, you know, like I said before, at the end of season three, Hawk made that turn and he joined our group again. However, this kind of leads him in a spot where he's finding new identity again. And at the beginning, he still does have, you know, he's got that hard Hawk personality. He's still rocking the Mohawk and everything. But in, I think it's in episode five that Cobra, Cobra Kai launches an attack on Hawk. And because they feel like Hawk betrayed them, because he was kind of the ringleader of them just before. And what they do is they they, they strap him down and they, they shave off his Mohawk and for this character of Hawk or you know this is kind of where his whole identity comes from and i'll guess i can start calling him Eli more because this is really about recapturing his identity at the base form of it and at when we first see Hawk become Hawk you know when he first makes that transition from Eli to Hawk i think it's in the third episode of the very first season we don't see him waver whatsoever He comes in with this new identity, and he's super hard, big old badass. And once he makes that character change, he's very steady with it. Even when he's not a jerk, he's really just this new hard-ass kind of guy. And as soon as that haircut's taken off, it's like metaphorically his identity was stripped from him. And he just doesn't know who he is anymore. And this kind of loses his motivation to, to even do karate anymore. And it's Dimitri, who's really been a consistent, just great friend, to Eli throughout all of these seasons who's able to kind of pull him out of the funk that he's in and remind him, hey, you're a badass, man. It doesn't matter what they call you. It doesn't matter what your hair looks like. You're you're still the same badass, and you're my best friend, you know? It's nice to see the consistency of that friendship really be the core of their dynamic. Dimitri and Hawk are some of my favorite characters. They just really pop off screen, and Dimitri always is there to provide a quirky little quip, you know? Uh <laughs> Dimitri actually made the comparison to the narrative being like Star Wars and, you know, the battle between the light and the dark side. Right after I did, I was super annoyed. I actually made the observation to my girlfriend while watching it. And as soon as I said that, Dimitri makes that joke, too. But I like those characters. I like that dynamic. And especially seeing where it all culminates for Hawk in the final in the All Valley, you know, the ultimate tournament. We actually see him go head to head with Robbie Keane and he comes out on top. Something I did not think was possible. I mean, I knew that Hawk was an amazing fighter, but I didn't think that anyone was going to be able of dethroning Robbie other than Miguel. And this just proves that Hawk is a major player in this world. He is one of the best. He just took down Robbie Keane, who previously was considered like the best. So, yeah, I really like Hawk's emotional growth and his character and kind of where he finds himself. You know, because he he has this hard-ass persona that he has adopted from Johnny a little bit, but he's taken some lessons from Miyagi-Do to not make it toxic. You know, he, now he's kind of like Miguel where he is a hard ass. He is a, a badass and takes things hard. But he's not brutal and he, he doesn't he's not a villain anymore. He's another character that's able to blend both philosophies just beautifully. And moving forward, I'm excited to see where they stick the landing with his character. One of the more fun plots that happens throughout the season is when Daniel and Johnny are, they're drunk at a bar, they're hanging out. And I like the kind of camaraderie that develops between them in this season. They're not fully able to commit to their friendship because they do have so much beef in history. But there are these small moments where you actually see them connect and like they're friends, even though they they don't realize that they're friends yet. Uh, however, they end up, you know, they, they can't figure out a way to blend their karate. They just don't know how it's possible for them to both teach their karate in the same space. What they end up agreeing to is having basically a grudge match, you know. We'll fight each other and, you know, official tournament rules and all that good stuff. And whoever wins will basically be in charge of the training. And what we see is such a funny episode where the different approaches to their to their training as they get ready for this match... Once they've decided that it's going to happen is Daniel spends the rest of the episode, you know, leading up to the match, just saying, oh, I don't want to do that. I regret even making that commitment. Like, that's not the way we should do things. He doesn't want to fight. And Johnny is just reveling at this concept. He just starts going on a crazy training sequence on his own. We see him breaking bricks. He's really just kind of in the dungeon, just really gearing up and doing his thing. I actually really like the training montage that we got with him. I thought it was super badass to quote Johnny himself. And it was a little 80s, which is nice too, a little nostalgic to it. But the soundtrack they had going on there, it was just really awesome. I, I love the badass energy that they bring to the Johnny character, honestly. I have a lot of fun watching that. The fight that ends up happening was really awesome. Honestly, all the fighting in the season is really awesome. Like I, I'll just say that word over and over again because the fight scenes are some of the best things that this series has to offer. I don't feel like every season always had really awesome fight scenes. I mean, at least in the in the season finales of each of them, they definitely delivered. But this season, it must be because these actors have been training long enough now, doing four seasons, growing up, getting a little older, getting a little more competent at that, that we're able to see this just awesome choreography. How many times can I say awesome? You let me know at the end. How many times did I say awesome this episode? But The the fight that happens between them was really cool. And fittingly, it ends in a dead tie where they knock each other out at the exact same time. Of course, they... They never want to let Johnny really get that come up it's on on Daniel. They'll they'll never say that Johnny's definitively better, but I like having them kind of tied and being pretty even between the two of them. The aftermath of this is them just still feeling like they can't work together and they actually set out to have separate dojos again. Of course, I saw it coming that they were going to converge at the very end. I feel like it's kind of, you know, one step forward, two steps back for them to not, you know, end up breaking off again. However, it's from the point of view of Miguel and Sam as they continue to want to learn from the other dojo and the other senseis. Uh, What I really liked was this badass scene when Johnny was gearing up to teach Miguel how to do a helicopter kick, like a a flying helicopter kick, something so ridiculous. And this was a great episode actually for Miguel and Johnny to kind of check in with each other and Johnny to be reminded that, yo, I'm all about you, you know, from Miguel's perspective, you're my sensei, you're my guy, I'm, I'm following you. And they really acknowledge this kind of father-son type dynamic between the two of them as they set out to learn this new badass move. And that's when Sam shows up because she wants to learn it too. And I actually maybe even like Sam's character growth the most this season Miguel's always the heart of the season. He's always awesome and, and really easy to kind of emote onto because he's kind of that good golden boy. But Sam actually gets this challenging approach where she wants to become more fierce. She doesn't want to just wait for people to attack her and then try to defend herself. No, she wants to be the one to attack sometimes. Sometimes the best defense is offense. So I, I, thought, it, I thought that was really cool that she kind of embraced that eagle fang mentality and actually she's the one who seeks out johnny's tutelage you know she really takes that step herself and it cements her as just a really fierce character in episode six we get this cold open from the point of view of the board of the all valley and they're talking about what they're going to do for this tournament this year how are they going to continue to generate interest how are they going to make it balanced all that good stuff and i actually enjoyed this scene a lot it's weird how consistently we've seen the point of view of the board of the All Valley, it's just, like, a weird aspect that the show doesn't have to deliver on, but they really do. And, like, every time I see them, I'm like, why would I want to see this point of view? Like, why, are, why do I want to see these guys in suits talking about the logistics of the tournament? But, yeah, once they let their scenes play out, there's actually a lot of, like, humor to it. And there's, like, weirdly a lot of, like, di- uh, running continuity between those characters. And it's fun to see them, especially when we see them being announcers at the very end. They actually had a lot of fun. And the way that they set up that scene to you know establish that this year there's going to be a lot of new rules it, it was pretty electric honestly I had fun with it and I actually appreciate that they went for that but yeah this year the all it gets revealed in episode six that this all valley is going to have a separate boys and girls section there's going to be a skills portion of it which just opens the door to so much uh more more nuance to how each dojo is going to approach training for the big all valley now, speaking of cold opens, we have to talk about the one that we get in Episode 8, and we get reintroduced to Stingray's character. Stingray has fallen pretty flat for me. If you don't remember Stingray, he's kind of the older guy, like in his mid-30s or something, that for whatever reason is like a part of Cobra Kai, and his like relationship to the children is pretty inappropriate, but once, once you know that character, you know that it is coming from a place of innocence, he isn't being creepy with these kids, even though he probably shouldn't be hanging out with all these minors. Um, but he he just wants to be included. He's just looking for a good time, and he genuinely loves that sense of community he was able to get out of Cobra Kai. Um, but seeing him reintroduced in this episode was odd because you don't even see him mentioned throughout the entire season until you get to the very end here. So I'm like, okay, what's going on here? What's going on? But we'll we'll pick that back up a little bit because the rest of this episode, the, the meat and potatoes of the plot, is about prom coming up ooh the drama prom 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 i knew that this one was gonna have a lot of big interactions between robbie and miguel and sam and Tori. the second that they said that promise happened i knew that there was going to be some nonsense going on but yeah we see just that not only at prom is the tension building between the two sets of couples at this point as robbie and Tori have been gifted a lot of money to have the best night of their life they were even given a car by silver Silver, I actually think that this was, like, a really nice thing that he did. Uh, Both of these characters certainly can never afford to really dress up or have, you know, that type of experience for their prom. And I I think that this was actually just a genuine moment where he is trying to be a good uh, sensei to them and actually help them have, like, a good, you know, teenage experience. Um, But that we're just seeing a lot of this tension build because, again, this is... Robbie used to date Sam, and Tori used to date Miguel, and now both of those characters are dating each other now. So this is a big old little love square that just has all this big little drama. Everybody's 17, so of course it's just ridiculous, right? They end up fighting at the after party afterwards, and all four of those characters end up in the pool. It's really just building more of that tension, so that way the stakes are higher when these characters actually end up fighting each other. At the very end of the episode, we see Miguel helping a drunk Johnny who actually just got into a physical altercation with Silver and, you know, this big interaction between Silver and John. Um, We we see Miguel kind of helping him into bed. Johnny definitely drank himself to sleep. So we we see that there's still a little bit of that toxic alcoholic behavior from Johnny. I do think that that's something that's going to have to be addressed in what I hope to be the final season of season five. Um, it would be a shame if they kind of just glossed over that because it is clear that there is a bit of a problem there. Nobody should be drinking themselves that silly to the point where they're passed out in their living room, you know? But it's in this moment that we get a really heartfelt message from Johnny, and he says, I love you. I just want to be the best kind of father figure to to you that I can. And Miguel reciprocates that kind of love. You know, Miguel actually does love Johnny, you know? Um, However... At the very end of it, you get kind of this gut punch when you realize that Johnny, in his drunken state, was saying that to Robbie, not to Miguel. And this just kind of confuses Miguel. It kind of raises some distrust between him and Johnny that is still still present by the end of the season, um, which I'm certain that they're going to pick up on in the next season for sure. But the final thing we see in this episode is perhaps the darkest thing we've seen yet we see Stingray kind of reapproach Cobra Kai. I didn't mention that before but he he tries to hop back into the dojo. Of course the dojo is under new management in the form of John John Kreese and Silver. And once he kind of re-comes back and he's like I'm ready to be in Cobra Kai. I'm back. Silver beats the absolute crap out of him. So, so much to so much so that he ends up in the intensive care unit. This is the real first big moment that we see that silver is headed down a path of full-on villainy now John Creese is not a good guy at all but it's it's this distinct difference between their two characters where John Creese wouldn't have just beaten this person senseless he might have sent a kick his way into the gutter something like that but he wouldn't have just started wailing on this person while they're on the floor repeatedly just kicking them while they're down you know really just sending them into a world of pain and we really just start to get the dark implications of what Silver's presence in this series is probably going to mean. So I was a little critical. I was a little weirded out at first when they were bringing Stingray back in. But once I realized it was kind of to set up this, this heartbreak moment, because Stingray is such just a genuine character that seeing this pain come his way does hurt a little bit. You know, he's stupid. He's misguided and inappropriate even at times. However, he is a good guy at his core and just wants to be there for his friends. And reintroducing him just to kind of get this character turned for silver was, in my opinion, very effectively done. All right. As we ramp up into things, we jump right into the All Valley tournament. and And this All Valley was the coolest of them all. They really hyped it up and they've been really talking about this All Valley all season. And so it's only fitting that this time around, the stakes are higher and everything is just a little bit more grandiose. The first part of the competition is the skills portion where people are stowing off their skills with like nunchucks and like knives and different weapons and stuff like that. Breaking boards, what have you. I actually really like that they included this portion into it uh, because it allows a lot of the other characters that really usually don't get a moment to shine at these type of tournaments, that, that just that, that opportunity to shine. And... And I, t- I talked about this a little bit earlier, but the action in the season just really is elevated by a lot. Even just watching the skills portion, it's really it's really cool to see these kids do what they're doing and j- it's just on point. It it might be stunt doubles, but I'm at least me watching it, I was fully convinced that they were actually performing the tasks that they that it looked like they were doing, and I was really impressed by it. I had a lot of fun even just watching the skills portion of the competition. A little bit after that, we get what I think is kind of the weirdest inclusion of the entire season, and that's in the form of a Carrie Underwood uh, cameo. <laughs> she <laughs> ends up doing a performance at the All Valley, and the justification they kind of use for it is, you know, Carrie Underwood says, Oh, just like you guys, I'm really used to competing, so that's why I'm here, to show, give you guys a song, because she used to be on American Idol. I don't know. It was totally out of nowhere. I mean, the song that she delivers was super fun and it creates a a solid backdrop for some really cool action scenes afterwards. However, I just don't understand where Carrie Underwood came from. Is she somehow tied to the the lore and history of Karate Kid? I really don't think so. But uh, I mean, I guess kudos for you. It seems like a weird attempt to like generate some hype around the season, even though I just don't feel like Carrie Underwood is nearly the hypest person you could have introduced, at least for a show that came out in 2021. I don't know, am I being weird here? I'm not a Carrie Underwood hater, but I just don't get it. (laughs) But as she's singing her little song, you know, we're getting this big montage sequence where you're seeing kind of all these matches play out. And what the audience is seeing and what our characters are starting to realize is that Cobra Kai knows their moves. And that's because Robbie, you know, like all of our major characters, he's actually trained with Miyagi-Do. He's taking a bit of that wisdom and infusing it into his Cobra Kai team. You know, the only way to beat their enemy is to kind of know their moves. And I just think it's interesting. All of our major players, you know, Miguel, Hawk, Sam, and Robbie, even though he's coming from it from a different point of view than the rest of the characters, are taking lessons from both dojos. And that's equip the Cobra Kai team to be ready for defending themselves against their Miyagi Do practices, which gets them very far in this tournament. Larusso gets a quick moment to kind of talk to Robbie, and it's interesting that Larusso has such a he has a strong relationship with Robbie. Uh, one thing I think is not handled very well is the dynamic between John and Robbie Keane, uh, John and Robbie Keane, uh, father and son there. Like I understand that they have a troubled relationship and there's like miscommunication happening, but the way that they don't talk to each other and every time they do have interaction, they just completely misunderstand each other. It's a little much in my opinion, and I just don't really get it. But it is nice what the the true message of this series or this season, at the very least, comes in a lesson that Daniel teaches that that he imparts over to Robbie in, in during the it's not during one of the matches, but during the All Valley tournament. Comes in the phrase of never put your passion over, don't never let your passion override your principle, which you see that really kind of hit him in his head. And re- this is the beginning of his big turn that we see at the end of the season. And he's really starting to internalize this. You know, he's been a little bit blinded by passion this whole time, that he's forgotten his principle. And what we know from Robbie, especially in those first few seasons, is he is a man of principle. He is a good guy at the end of the day, even though he is he's got all this rage that he carries with him. He has to work on that. You know, of course, this message bleeds into his fight a little bit and informs kind of the way that he fights Hawk. And it's with honor. You know, the two of them are really going at it. This is honestly my favorite fight scene we've seen the entire series. I have to say there's this show has delivered on many great fight scenes. But the one between Robbie and Hawk here was just so evenly matched and seeing them go blow for blow time in time out was really good and this is where the star wars comparison really starts to come back into play and (laughs) it's really this is anakin versus somebody from the good side and in anakin's corner you have john crease and silver telling him you know attack him no mercy you know take advantage of this take advantage of that you know they're the sith lords really creeping in on him of course hawk ends up taking that w which sets up the stage for everything coming down to the final fight uh, something I didn't mention before is during Miguel's fight, he ended up tweaking his back, a, a painful reminder to the heavy injury that he took in a couple seasons earlier that ended up paralyzing for him for a while. However, it comes down to Tory versus Sam, the big grudge match we've all been waiting for. This was another great fight scene. I don't think it reached the same highs that the Hawk versus Robbie match reached. However, it was great to see this choreography These two females are just amazing fighters, and they both pop off screen very well. Uh, Of course, Tori ends up taking the W, and she doesn't even do it in a dirty way. Of course, not her herself. We end up finding out later on that the person who was running the match actually was being paid off by Silver. So he was a little bit biased. A couple calls that were a little debatable went in the way of Cobra Kai. And of course, we're led to believe that without that mistreatment of the match, that Miyagi-Do probably would have taken that match for sure. But of course, that's where we leave it. A big victory for Cobra Kai. The implication of this being that both dojos have to shut down now. Now, on one hand, of course, I don't like that Cobra Kai won, but it sets the stage for one big more season, one, one last wild ride. However, I do really appreciate that Tori won. Of course, this moment is robbed from her a little bit later once she realized that the conductor of the match was being paid off. However, the victory means so much more for her as an individual than it would have meant for any of these other characters. The, the penultimate victory, you know, that it came down to her match, that she was victorious, that gave her entire dojo the victory. I just think it was big. Her character has the biggest stakes coming into this, the most to gain and the, and the least, least having coming into it. She doesn't have really anything in her life. And, and this victory just means a lot for her, and I appreciate the character growth that she's on. The final note that we have of her of this season is her finding out that Silver paid off the guy for the match. And I think that this is going to set the stage for a redemption arc for her. It seems like pretty much all the characters are getting big redemption arcs, everyone who we don't like. Uh, Even John Kreese ends up getting betrayed by Silver at the end of the season and ends up getting arrested by the police, firmly cementing Silver as the big bad villain that we'll be facing up against in this final season. What does that mean for John Kreese? I'm not sure, because I do think being arrested is an appropriate place for his character to end. However, it seems like the show has laid the groundwork for something of a redemption arc for his character, so i will be interesting to see if they're able to pull that off in the final season here. So that's where we leave off with those characters, and of course what we saw right before that final battle was Johnny and LaRusso finally come together and kind of join forces in in their approach to their training. They even encouraged... um, Sam to you know you you've trained with both of us use what you know you know but use whatever you feel is appropriate and that does get her fairly far however Tori ends up just beating her again it's a debatable beat because the person had been paid off but it's nice to see that it, it is kind of the same place we found ourselves at the end of season three which is their commitment to work together however this time I can actually believe that there's a way through and I'm excited to see them blend their styles together to create a brand new one that would be really exciting honestly The final emotional beat that we really end off on on this season is Robbie Keane finally coming to his father and basically asking for forgiveness and telling him that he loves him and that he's tired of blaming him for everything. He kind of sees the error of his ways, sees how he got caught up with Cobra Kai. and. Now he's finally able to move forward in a positive direction with his father. Something we haven't seen for those characters at all in this series yet. And the last little thing they tease is Miguel is now on his way to Mexico because he wants to discover what his roots are. My prediction... So what we end up getting revealed to by his mom is that Miguel's father doesn't even know he exists. So Miguel's certainly on a track for heartbreak And Johnny is going to go get him as well. He's going to accompany him because he knows that this is going to be an emotional journey. My prediction for this is that we're also going to figure out who Johnny's real father is. It's teased that he doesn't know who he is. And it only seems fitting that for Miguel to go on this journey, that Johnny will go on a similar journey as well. So I'm definitely predicting something like that will happen in the next and hopefully final season. I think if they continue to go past season five this series will get played out. So I'm hoping that we kind of end things off on that final season. So yeah, that's pretty much where we leave everything off. The stage is set for what's certain to be a climatic next season. A lot of the characters have kind of gone through their full character growth and like full, you know, story arc and everything. And everyone's kind of ready to be their fully realized versions of themselves coming into this final season. I don't know how we're going to work around the technicality that Eagle Fang and Miyagi doe are supposed to close down. Will it be as simple as just combining them to be Miyagi Fang and that counts as a brand new JoJo even though even though it's pretty much just the same thing and therefore they can compete again? I can certainly see that happening. But for now we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Thank you for giving this show, this episode a listen everybody. Overall, I had a great time watching Cobra Kai and you best believe I'll be hopping on the next season whenever that drops. But yeah, if you guys have any feedback, I would love to hear it. My email is thedshow at gmail.com. Excuse me, the That's T-H-E D S H O W P O D at Gmail.com. The at gmail.com. Please go ahead and follow me on Instagram as well. That's the Darius Show. If you just search the Darius Show, it'll definitely pop up. Odds are if you search Darius, it might show up there as well. And if you don't already, please give me a follow on Spotify. You guys know I'm looking to grow. I've tried to be really consistent with these episodes. And so any feedback, any suggestions, anything to help me along the way, I would really appreciate it. But other than that, thank you so much for giving this a listen. I love you. Haya.